about, uh, I'm glad you guys are here. Uh, we're going to refocus on what's the most important thing because live stream is kind of important, but it's definitely not the most important. So if you guys would just say a silent prayer for your pastor that he would be able to refocus this morning, that would be good. But we're going to be in the book of Ephesians. So if you're new or joining us today, uh, th- I'm, I'm glad that you're here. We're, we're in the third chapter of Ephesians. So if you've got a copy of God's Word, you can turn open to the third chapter of Ephesians. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 21. Uh, if you didn't bring a copy of God's Word, that's okay. You should have one in the, in the pews with you. And so you can just grab one of those. Uh, last time I checked, it was like 976 or something like that, somewhere in that general area. As we keep going forward, I'm going to have to look up the new page number because I'm, I'm getting farther and farther behind, I think. Uh, but as we talk about Ephesians today, and, and if, you, if you haven't heard the rest of these, I would encourage you to either um, go back and read uh, one through up to where we're at, because the Bible has to be kept in context. Remember, this is a letter meant to be read to the church at Ephesus all at once, okay? So don't just take what we're going to say just today. Keep it in context. If you want to listen to the preaching, well, you probably won't find it online. At least, I'm, I'm, I'm joking. I, I do upload it there, but um, go back and read at least. And, and I would also encourage you, by the way, today's text is so deep, we, I cannot, uh, maybe those who are smarter than me can exhaust it in one single sermon. I can't, so please go back and meditate over the section so you can really draw out the wealth of the scripture, okay? Now, the title of today's message is The Exceeding Abundance, uh, or just rather, just Exceeding Abundance, and it's about comprehending the love of Christ. Now, what Paul's doing here is this is going to be a prayer. This is the second of his prayers, and if you've been coming for a while, or or if you're familiar with the book of Ephesians, even if you haven't been, you know that in chapter 1 he has a a prayer that is very close to this section of prayer. And so in between chapters 1 through 3, chapter 2 that's in between there, he kind of goes out and, 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 and furthers his points and explains what he's talking about. And then this is the end cap before he gets into all the application from 4 through 6 to the church in Ephesus. What I want to talk about with you this morning is this exceeding abundance of power that we have in Christ Jesus. All of us want to, I'm I'm guessing all of us here pray for and want to experience God's power. But maybe we've never been taught how to attain that. Maybe we've never been taught how to pray. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot deeper than just by your bed at night, now I lay me down to sleep, right? We can have confidence of the power of Christ in our lives. And I think often, even us who are Christians, we we fail to tap into that. We fail to really take ownership of that. And so as as I've been praying about this this morning and thinking through this, I I think this sermon, my my hope is that this sermon would basically have three effects. It would would either scold you um, for not praying enough or as, as powerfully as maybe you ought. It should encourage you if you are in prayer of that which you are entering into and that which you are receiving and then thirdly it it should teach us then the proper method to go to him in in this you've heard the old saying the family that prays together stays together so this is a good prayer for us today This is a good prayer for you, for your family, for you individually. This is a good prayer for Allegan Bible Church as a whole. And so as we look through this, uh, I hope that this is an encouragement, a teaching opportunity, 
and maybe if necessary, a rebuke for all of us to be better prayers, to come to God with more fervency, expecting this exceeding abundance that we can have as we comprehend the love of Christ. So let's begin with prayer. God, our Father in heaven, we do thank you for our time together. I I praise you that you are bigger than all things. You are bigger than the internet. You are bigger than slides on a screen. You're bigger than microphones. You're bigger than mere preachers and mere congregations. God, we thank you that you are God, that we are not. We thank you that in you we have abundant power, exceedingly abundant power. I pray that you would give us today the minds and hearts of Paul, that we would take hold of that, that we would practice that, that we would either be taught by Paul or encouraged by Paul or rebuked by Paul. As Paul is one of the few that said, you you know, follow me as I follow Christ. We seek to do that this morning. So we ask that you would be with us. Guide our time together. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So as we look at this exceeding abundance of this power we get from God through Christ, I just want to start with you in verses 14 through 16. It's not going to be up on the screen. You'll have to follow along in your copy of God's Word. Again, I think it's on page 976 to 978, somewhere in there. Um, so you can find it there, Ephesians 3, starting in what? 918 in the Pew Bible? That could be a two. There's, there's different Pew Bibles. I do that just to keep you on your toes. There's a table of contents in the beginning. So if you truly don't know where it is, that's okay. Table of contents, find your page. We'll just move on together, okay? Uh, that's okay. Uh, so the first point then I, I think that we see there is pray for humble confidence. Look at Ephesians three fourteen through 16. He says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So Paul here is praying and teaches us to pray with humble confidence. And so if you've never been taught to pray, then this is a good first lesson to you. We too are to pray with humble confidence. But what does that look like? Well, I'm glad that you're asking. He shows us here in his text. And so the first thing he shows us is he prays with gratitude. As you look at uh, chapter 3, verse 14, he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. For what reason? So what reason is Paul saying this? We should ask. Because you read something like that in the text. For this reason, what reason, Paul? Well, that's why it's up to you to remember and to study through chapter 1 through where we're at in, verse, in chapter 3 right now. For all those reasons. And so just to kind of give a flyover for you, because Christ died, first and foremost, because Christ died for me, for you, we are sinners. We are helpless. We are dead in our trespasses. There is no good in us. We are undeserving. I know this is a very unpopular message right now in our society and maybe even for you personally, but the truth of Scripture is the truth of Scripture. And so Paul says in the beginning of this, hey, I thank God for you Ephesians because you heard this word of the gospel, you believed it, and because of that you are now changed. Remember what he's talked about through the other chapters there. We are a new creation in Christ. We've been regenerated. And then he also says here, well, what else is he thankful for? What else is he 
grateful for? Because Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, the Jew among all Jews, has been revealed the mystery to him that we are all one big happy family in Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. So it doesn't matter rich or poor, black or white, male or female, right? Uh, Affluent or unaffluent, uh, educated, uneducated. It doesn't matter in the eyes of Christ, in in the glory of the gospel. And so his first attitude as he comes to prayer is gratitude for all these reasons, for what he just got done talking about. For all this, I bow my knees before the Father. Now, it's not one of my sum points, but it's one of my main points. Remember, it says humble confidence. So where do you get the humility from? Well, look at his posture here. He says also, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. That always has been a position of submission. Last week, we were just talking about war movies and things like that. And, those, and, and by the way, because of that, I decided that I was going to watch Saving Private Ryan again, which I didn't remember. It is gruesome. And so maybe not for the whole family, okay? Um, but I'm, I'm watching this movie, and several times during the thing, as, as they're going through their because it's a war movie, people are giving themselves up, right? They're, they're caught, and so they surrender. And what they often do is they'll hit their knees and they'll put their hands up. It is a position of weakness. It is a position of surrender. Also, it is odd for Jews to pray this way. In, in our own Christian, Christianese culture, uh, and if you've grown up in the church and stuff, you hear, oh, he's bowing his knees. Of course he's bowing his knees. No, this is strange, Temple worship, temple prayer was often on your feet. Think about how Jesus describes the, the rich man and the, and, the, and the sinner who's standing before God. They're both, you know, standing. One, of course, is beating his breast because he's sad, but they're both standing. In fact, very few times in Scripture do we see people actually kneeling, as Paul describes here, and those are times of deep conviction. One of the most deeply convicting times of prayer is when Jesus himself was bowing before the Father, asking for the cup to pass, but then revealing or uh, being willing to go forward with God's will. And so Paul is humble here in his gratitude, saying, bowing my knees before the Father. But we also see here his dependence. I don't know if you're like me. Sometimes when I pray, I pray either not really believing that he's going to do it or not necessarily thinking that I for sure need that. Does this make sense? Like I'm, I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask you as my extra kind of backup, but really like I got this. So just in case I don't got this, then you can have this. But, but otherwise, you know, Just kind of let me do me. This is not Paul's attitude here. He prays from humble confidence in the Father. He is dependent on Him. And I don't know what your relationship is with your father. Some of you come from a father who you did not have a good relationship with. Some of you come from a father where you maybe didn't even know. Uh, Others of you may have had a really good father. But the text here is, is this idea of sonship, daughtership to a good father. And so whatever your relationship was with your father, you, you, can't, you can't take that and kind of superimpose that over this relationship. 
Scripture all throughout talks about God as Father and who's a, who's a good Father, right? Who gives those things that are necessary to His children without criticism, without rebuke, and, and lovingly. And so for this reason, he says he bows his knees before the Father, and then he goes a little farther. Now in the Greek, there's, there's this uh, word play on here, which isn't necessarily uh, important for understanding of the text, but father and family have the same kind of root there. So he, but what he's saying is here is, from every family in heaven and earth is named. And what he's saying is, every single father who's ever been a father, their prototype is actually God the Father. That's why you know if you had a good father or not. Because in your heart of hearts, you're measuring that father by this father. Even if you don't personally know this father. That is intrinsically all of our standards on what a good father looks like. Maybe that just blew your mind this morning. But there has to be an archetype for us to measure anything against. And so... He says in dependence, listen, I am just a member of this household. Now, also look at this, what he says, for, for uh, every family in heaven and on earth. That means everyone who has went before us isn't just gone from our family. They're just estranged right now. How cool is that for any of you who have lost anybody? Anyway, I digress here. And he says in verse 16, Last part of what I'm talking about here is his confidence or what we might call his, his boldness. And you have to understand boldness in terms of biblical boldness isn't the same as cockiness of what we might think of it as an Americanism. He doesn't come cocky, he comes boldness, he comes in confidence. He says, he's going to ask, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family on heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened. You see, he understands that, let me give you an example. I'm not a millionaire. So if I wrote you a check for $1,000, uh, that would be a lot for me. But if I was a billionaire and I wrote you a check for $1,000, you would probably call me a cheapskate. Maybe. Depends on what we're talking about, right? And so it's all relative is, is what I'm getting at there. And so here he's saying that this, is, he, he, this father who he's talking to out of gratitude and dependence, he's able to come to him in confidence as well as boldness because he's praying for God to act in accordance with the riches of his glory, not just with other, what Paul thinks is necessary. And this again is part of the mystery of the gospel, why he's so grateful and why he's so dependent on this. second part of how we learn to pray and how we ought to pray and how Paul teaches us to pray and how we experience this exceeding abundance of Christ's power in us is to pray in the context of Christ. You see, I think oftentimes, if you're anything like me, I don't always remember to pray in the context of Christ. I, I always remember to pray in the context of John, right? God, do this for me because I want that. And then it's not till after a while that I might say, but only if it's your will because I, I, I want whatever happens to glorify you and to point towards Christ, even if that means saying no to that which I pray for. You see, we have to pray in the context of Christ, and that's what we're going to talk about in chapter 3 here from 16 through 19. So if you have a copy of God's Word, let's read that together. 16 through 19 says this, 
that according to the riches of his glory, you may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so in the context of Christ, there, there is basically a stair-step approach. And we're going up the stair-step to the pinnacle of fullness of Christ. And so there's four steps. The first step in the context of Christ is to understand the strength that we have in Christ. This term of strength of his might in 16b, the second part of that. So according to his riches, according to the, 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 the depth, the lavishness of his glory, he says, according to that, I'm going to pray that you, and by the way, he's praying for the, the Ephesians, but he's also, he's praying for us. And this should be our prayer for one another too, for us to receive that abundant, exceeding abundance of Christ's power in us. So we might be strengthened with power. Now, earlier we talked about this. There's these words for power and strength. Dynamis that we get like dynamite from. This is an active, working power. This is what is talked about in Acts 1.8 where it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But also understand here that what he's talking about is power that belongs to the inner being. You see, Paul has been very clear so far that this old husk is going to continue to degrade and eventually pass away. But it's the inner man that needs to be reborn. It's the inner you that needs to be reborn, that is renewed day after day. So in this commentary, this writer says this, this power is available for the inner man. This means that the spiritual part of man where God dwells and works. The inner man of the lost sinner is dead, but it becomes alive when Christ is invited in. The inner man can see Psalm 119, hear Matt 19, or 13, 9, taste Psalm 34, and feel Acts 17. And he must be exercised. He also must be cleansed, Psalm 51, and fed, Matthew 4.4. The outer man is perishing, but the inner man can be renewed spiritually in spite of the outer physical decay. So what does it mean to have the Holy Spirit empower the inner man? It means that our spiritual faculties are controlled by God, that they're driven by God, that they're striven by God. Hebrews 5.12-14, for Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles and oracles of God. So this terminology that he's using here is one of, uh, for us to move forward in growing power through the spirit that he gives in our inner being. Also, 17a, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Paul never separates the inner man and the spirit dwelling with that of Christ dwelling in us. This is where that biblical terminology or the Christology of saying, hey, have you asked Christ in your heart yet? This is where they get that from. This terminology for Jesus dwelling in our hearts is this idea of, who's ever been to an Airbnb? Anybody? None of you? Some of you? You guys got to get out more, okay? So here's the thing. Elisa and I do that sometimes. So we've been to Airbnbs or hotels. Anybody been to a hotel? 
Okay, that hits more of you. Great. So you've been to a hotel, okay? Or you've stayed over at a friend's house. Anybody spent the night or went camping anywhere? That hit everybody now. So, so here's the point of what he's saying right here. So when you go camping, you might pack things up and you might go there for a while, but the assumption is that you're always going to pack up and then leave. That's not the text here. This is that he dwells. He makes his home there. He is the guest that never leaves in a good way. And so what it means here is that then he dwells in you. He lives in you. He makes his home in you. That's where he sleeps. That's where he eats. God doesn't sleep and he doesn't need to eat, right? But I'm trying to press the point. And so Paul is asking that this would be done according to the riches of God in us so that this power of the Spirit might be in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through this faith. And then he goes on to this next section, which means being rooted and grounded in love is what he says here. And he uses two terms for that, rooted and grounded in this love. John thirteen thirty five. by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so being rooted and grounded goes back to these, these two separate things that both things Jesus talked about. I am the vine, you are the branches, right? Apart from me, you can't do anything. Uh, Blessed is the man who builds his house on the rock because all the storms and winds and that house didn't fall, right? So you, you have the idea of both roots and foundations. I had to look this up. There's a, there's a building called the uh, Burj Khalifa. It's, uh, it's the tallest tower in the world. It's over in Dubai. The foundation of it is made up of this. Over 4,000, I'm sorry, 45,000 meters squared or 58,900 cubic yards of concrete weighing more than 110,000 tons were used to construct the concrete and steel foundation which features 192 piles that are buried more than 50 meters or 164 feet deep and the reason they did that is because all construction workers of skyscrapers will tell you, and I quote, the general rule of thumb is the taller the building is, the stronger the foundation must be. You see, Paul wants us to pray in the context of Christ, understanding that our prayers are coming to God, are receiving from God, is all rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. Christ's love for us and Christ's love to others through us. This is radical in our understanding of what it means to pray in the context of Christ as Paul seeks to pray for these who are in Ephesus. But it's more than just head knowledge. It's an experience of who Christ is. I don't mean some kind of a second spirit baptism. I don't mean some kind of a ethereal, strange, work yourself up into some kind of a Christian trip or something. What I mean is, is that this knowledge of Christ being rooted and grounded in love Paul seeks to try to help us 
And so therefore, me help you as I help myself here, wrap our minds around, and as he says, what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth? And so there's all kinds of ways that people talk about this, and so I'll give you a couple. One is the breadth of the love of Christ encompasses all or any. Any can come to him. The length of his love for us is through all eternity, from eternity before to eternity after. The height of his love for us is all the way up to the heavenly heavens, to God the Father himself, and all the way down to the most degraded sinner among us, of whom Paul says, I am the foremost, because he understands to a greater and greater degree than we do very often this love of Christ, this perfection in Christ, the sacrifice of Christ for us. Other people have talked about it, about the cross itself, as as you can see on the wall there. I think, oh no, it's behind me. I moved it. Yeah, sorry. So this cross behind me on the wall, it talks about the, the height of it and the depth of it and the length and the breadth. Uh, people talk about, you, you, you know, the east as far as from the west, to, to quote the, the psalm. Job 11, 8 through 9, even Job understood this. He says, it is higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol, what can you know? It measures, its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. We write songs about it. But I want to read to you Paul's prayer for us this morning. What he says is this. So out of the riches of the glory, so that in our inner being we might be strengthened, rooted in this love of Christ, and then he says in verse 18, that we may have the strength. That's why, we, that's why we need that strength. That's why he prays for that first, that we might have this power to comprehend. Anybody here like possums? They get a bad rap. Thank you. There's one. Yeah. Oh, for eating? Okay. <clears throat> so, possums... Monkeys, certain kind of lizards, all have something in common. What that's called is a prehensile tail. A prehensile tail is a tail with which they have the ability to actually hold on to things. There's lots of animals that have a semi-prehensile tail, and basically they can, they can wrap it or cling to things, but it's just for stability. And a, a, an opossum and then certain kinds of monkeys, like a spider monkey, and then certain kind of lizards, they can actually use their tail as another appendage. The terminology that Paul is using here is that we wouldn't just, now, that you would have the strength to comprehend, that we would have the strength to grasp, that we would have the strength to own, that we would have the strength to experience, not simply know. Because before I became a Christian, I had a lot of biblical head knowledge. I knew that there was only one God. I knew that Jesus died for me. I knew what was right and what was wrong. And I was very happy that there was one God and that Jesus died for me because my heart decided that I was going to pursue all the other lusts of the flesh and the things of the world. And it was good because then I knew that there was a God who loved me. I knew that there was a Jesus who died for me and therefore I could do whatever my heart wanted to do. I did not have a prehensile heart. I had a hard heart. But what Paul is praying for here is that we would have the strength to have a prehensile heart, a a new heart, a comprehending and experienced heart with all the saints. That's why we do church together. Because by the way, am I hard to love? Don't answer that, Elisa. 
But the answer is yes. And, and unfortunately, are you hard to love? Yes. And so this is why we need one another. We need one another so that we can comprehend, so that we can experience what it means to die to self and live for Christ. We need one another in this so that we can rub each other the wrong way and participate in this glorious, beautiful thing called the family of God of which we are sanctified through. And so he prays that we would have strength to grasp, to comprehend with all the saints. And then he goes into this, what is the breadth and the height and the depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Which means Paul himself does not understand the fullness of God, as we're about to say, but that's what he desires for us. And he doesn't understand what altogether is the depth and the length and the height and the breadth of Christ's love, and neither do you. And that is one of the glorious things about all eternity. I was having a conversation with some people on Thursday. I teach a little theology class to some uh, gap year students at Beach Point. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but all of heaven, eternal life, perfect bodies, no more pain, no more hunger, no more sorrow, for all of eternity is not truly heaven unless Jesus is there. Amen. That is what Paul is talking about here. That is the length and the height and the breadth and the depth of the love of Christ. And, and he gets into this paradox of seeking to actually obtain the unobtainable. I couldn't find the author, but perhaps you've heard the poem. Could we with ink the oceans fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. That is the depth and the length and the breadth of the love of Christ. And he follows this up by saying he desires then that we would be filled by the filled up by the fullness of God. So do we have room to grow? Absolutely. Paul says we should be in the middle of growing. We should be pursuing this growth. It is only that we can experience this growth through this exceedingly abundant power of Christ that we have as we seek to pursue and pray in the context of Christ. And so to finish us up for the final section here, pray with humble courage, boldness to the Father. Pray in the context of who Christ is. And then lastly then, if you're doing those things, pray with great expectation. Again, if you're anything like me, I, I just wonder, are your prayers too feeble? Because it's times when I read sections like this that I think, you know, I'm, not, I'm just not praying big enough. And, and maybe I just don't believe big enough. Maybe my faith is too small to actually pray that big. But look at, look at, look at God's word. Don't take my word for it. Uh, Ephesians 3, 20 through 21 now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. And just pause there for a minute. So how much can God do more than we ask and more than we imagine? 
And so just think about that for a minute. We ought to pray with great expectation. Because Paul says here, we ought to pray with great expectation because he is able. He is absolutely able. There is nothing hindering God from doing anything. Now to him who is able. Now I also want you to see this this hierarchy here. This writer does it in seven steps. One, he is able to do or work. For he is neither idle nor inactive nor dead. Two, he is able to do what we ask, for he hears and answers prayer. Three, he is able to do what we ask or think, for he reads our thoughts, and sometimes we imagine things for which we dare not and therefore do not ask. Four, he is able to do all that we ask or think, for he knows it all and can perform it all. Five, he is able to do more than all we ask or think, for he for his expectations are higher than ours. He is able to do much more or more abundantly than all that we ask or think, for he does not give his grace by calculated measure, but instead according to his own riches. And lastly, seven, he is able to do very much more, far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, for he is a God of super abundance. You see, our English translation fails to grasp the gravity of what Paul is saying here. He says, our God is so far more able, exceedingly abundantly able. It's as if Paul is saying, he is able and able and able and able and able and able into infinity to do these things. And we see these things in the lives of those that we herald as the great men and women of faith. Think of Abraham. God said, leave this land and go to a land I'm going to promise you. The only thing that Abraham was thinking at that time was there's going to be a good land. He didn't know the stars of the heavens would be numbered by him. He didn't know that he would receive a child in his old age. He did not know all these other things. And each step of the way, God continued to expand his understanding of what God was able to do. And then think of Moses. Moses called by God to go somewhere. He had an idea of what he was supposed to say to Pharaoh, but Moses had no idea, nor did he ever think to ask about all those plagues. Think about David. David, a shepherd boy who sought to be faithful to the Lord, who sought to kill a giant who was complaining and cursing their God, the one true God. How in the world would he ever have asked or think to be the complete king of Israel? And this is what Paul says. Paul puts himself in the same position of us as he says, now to him who is able to do far more exceedingly abundantly than anything that we ask or think. And so how does God do more? He does more sovereignly and personally as you see there. He does that to work in you. And that should amaze you, this exceeding abundance that God has, that he has a desire to pour out. We can pray in great expectation because he wants to do this according to the power at work within us. It's already a power that's at work within us. They covered those. So I want to close by saying this. I want you to get your hands on your spiritual power this morning. 
I want you to use your prehensile tail of your heart to really possess that which God is offering you this morning. There is no can't in the kingdom. In this inner man, you can do all things in the context of Christ. You have a habit that is sinful that you want to break in Christ, you can do that. You have a marriage issue that is seeming to be inexcusable or unsurpassable in Christ, it can be fixed. You have a wayward child that you're not sure, like, look, in Christ, they can return. What about this church? What about your witness? What about your testimony? What about our missionaries? What about our brothers and sisters overseas? I'm not talking about name it, claim it theology, and so please don't get me wrong here. I'm not saying speak these things into existence, just believe that they're going to happen and then they will. What I'm saying is, is he is able to do abundantly and exceeding more than you can even think about. And so why are we not asking? Think about and ask and dream big and pray big because who is to say? And it is okay in God's wisdom for him to also sometimes say no. But don't let that quash your expectations. Because in the end, the reason he does this is for his glory. Verse 21 says, To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. And so Paul ends by saying, What can be added to this? Nothing. So finally, his direct ascription to the praise of God. So all that is left for his people there in Ephesus, here in Allegan, to the ends of the earth to just simply say, Amen. So we're going to do something a little odd. Scripture talks about um, praying in private. And what your father sees you do in private, then he'll reward that, right? Scripture also talks about not praying big, long prayers so that people can think that you're something special. So neither of those things, I'm trying to break neither of those things, but here's what we're going to do. I'm going to walk you through Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, and, and we're going to pray. Here's the thing, it doesn't ascribe, you don't have to kneel, you can sit, you can have your eyes open, you can close them. You can look down, you can look up, you can raise your hands, you can stand, you can do whatever you want to do, but for the next couple minutes here, I, I, would, I, would, I would love the opportunity to have you join me as we pray together this prayer for our church, for our families, for our people. So you don't have to. But I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask that you would join me. So if you will, let's go to our Father now. God, our Father in heaven, it is for your gospel. That is the reason that we can come to you at all. So just as Paul is able to come to you, a sinner saved by grace, so we too, for that reason, are able to come to you. And we come to you with grateful hearts, knowing that it is nothing good in us, but it is all by you that we have been saved. We come to you for the reason of knowing what we've just read about your exceeding, abundant power, your depth of your love for us. It is by all this, for this reason, we come before you. 
We come before you, maybe not with actual physical bowed knees, but God, with our hearts bent in submission to you. We come with open hearts. We come before you as a loving, good father. We come before you with bent hearts as a part of your family. A part of your family here on earth looking forward to when we will be your family in even closer proximity in heaven. God, as we come before you today, we, we lift these things up as Paul did in according to the riches of your glory. We often think small of you. We often think weakly of you. We often think too much of ourselves and give too much glory to ourselves when all those riches belong to you for your namesake. And so it is humbly before you that we come and we just simply ask that you might strengthen us with this power of your spirit for our inner being. That by this power, by the riches of your glory, by your grace, for all of these reasons as we come to you as a good father, we would ask that your spirit would dwell in us And we give you free range, God. We ask that you would live in every room of our our hearts. That Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith in every area of it. That as Paul, by your Spirit, has used these illustrations of being rooted and grounded, that the foundations of our lives would be built on Christ dwelling in us. And that he, as as a plant, would sprout and his foliage His vine would travel throughout all of us. As John the Baptist prays, God, we pray along with Paul and these in in Ephesus that we might decrease and you might increase in us. And God, we do ask for the power, the strength, the ability to continue to grow in our experiential knowledge and comprehension of what it means to have you love us. And as we grow to have a clearer understanding of what it means that you might love us, we ask that your love might travel through us to love others. That as we are part of all the saints and the family here on earth, as well as in heaven, that we would live as a member of that household well. God, help us to know and to experience the love of Christ that surpasses our knowledge. Your love is so great. You have told us that you have come to give us peace that surpasses understanding. You have told us that you have come to give us life and that too in abundance. We thank you that you are so rich and so deep and so wide that we will never exhaust your love for us in understanding it and in experiencing it in new and fresh ways daily. And with Paul and those in Ephesus, we also pray that we might be filled with all the fullness of who you are. You have told us that we are to be 
a city set on a hill and a light before mankind and salt to this earth. And we need you to fill us to your fullness to do that. And I thank you that this is a prayer in direct accordance with your will because it is for your glory and for your namesake and also for our good. And so we agree. We agree with Paul and with those in Ephesus that to you who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, even even as we read this prayer and pray this prayer together, you in our midst right now are able to, and willing to do more than we've even asked this morning, or we can even comprehend of asking. And so we thank you for this power that is at work within us. We ask that this power of yours that is at work within us would bring you glory. As we live out being the church, and as we represent Christ Jesus for. It is to Him that we seek to point. Not only in our generation, but forever, for all eternity, through all times and seasons and worlds, forever and ever. And so we come together to simply end with Amen.